Hello everybody and welcome to Safe Space, the official Safe in Our World podcast. For those who don't know, the main goal of Safe in Our World is to create and foster worldwide mental health awareness within the video games industry and beyond. My name is Rosie and today I'm joined by Sarah and Robin Gray. Robin is a patron of Safe in Our World, as well as being the founder of Gaming Magazine, which is the world's only LGBTQ plus video game magazine. Welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I hope I did your introduction justice. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we spent time together at uh, an esports festival recently, and I think I taught you well. Yeah, I think I know your like scripts <laughs> word by word <laughs> just for the first 20 minutes or like 20 minutes, 20 words. 20 minutes. <laughs> oh my I God, no, please don't. Maybe for me, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, tw- 20 seconds I could do an introduction, but <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> so um, one of the first questions we wanted to ask you basically, because I think if I'm right in saying this, you joined Safe in Our World way before Sarah and I both did. And so we don't actually know how you initially got involved with the charity uh, because you did start out as an ambassador. That's right, isn't it? Uh, I did, yes. Um, So basically what happened was, um, as part of Gaming Magazine, we run uh, the Safe in Our World... This is the Safe in Our World podcast. We run the gaming podcast. um, And uh, we actually reached out um, as part of one of our episodes. I believe it was episode 15. and had Safe in Our World on as special guests. Um, and we were joined by uh, Gareth and Imogen, I believe. Um, and at the time, it was just me being aware of, uh, of their work, um, particularly because they were launching the, the Level Up Mental Health campaign, I believe. That was exactly the sort of thing that was happening. So they were relatively new to everything. And I think for me, it was kind of like, I've always really mashed in with kind of like celebrating and supporting and promoting good mental health anyway and so having them on as a guest on the podcast I learned so much about the charity and their aims and I think just afterwards I just sort of said to them sort of fairly anecdotally like if you if you're looking for like ambassadors and stuff I'd love to help out where I can um and I guess the rest is history amazing hello Robin hello hi (laughs) I said hello yeah um can I, I've got a couple of questions, actually. Can I ask you about the magazine? Um, like, how did it start? What sparked the idea in the beginning? Um, I, and I believe, I think we've already said, it's uh, it's the only one in the world. And with a million readers, that's impressive. Uh, so I, I want to know about that. So that's my first question. And the second one is, in your opinion, um, is the video games industry friendly to LGBTQ identities? Now, they're two different questions, but really interested to uh, to know how it got started and then uh, to talk more about how uh, this all fits in with the industry. So I'll deal with the first question first because the second question uh, about LGBTQ identities in the video game industry is massively difficult and, and very complex. Yeah, but, I just I just threw that in as a side no, no, no. question. It, it, it's, it's a good question and we'll definitely come to it. It's just not as easy to answer, I suppose. Yeah, of course. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's pretty much the million dollar question. Yeah. Um, so the first one, I think, how we started, like good, like all good ideas, um, we started as an, a conversation down the pub. Um, I was chatting to a friend, and that friend knew uh, Dr. Joe Twist, who's the CEO of Yuki, um, who weirdly and quite coincidentally just walked past us at one point. And so my friend just grabbed her, sat her down. We had a very quick chat about video games, and she sort of, and what we do as an LGBT media company. And she said, like, we don't have enough LGBTQ content or coverage of, of video games. And that just put a little seed in my brain. Um, we already ran two successful LGBT magazines anyway. So I thought, okay, great. We can just put some video game content into those existing ma- magazines. One particularly has a sort of nerdy, geeky uh, bent anyway. So I kind of left it at that and we carried on, had dinner. Then basically on the, on the train, the way home I suddenly thought well okay so who else is doing this like there must be somebody um must be somebody in the media space that is is doing LGBT gaming because why wouldn't they and kind of on the train home um I suddenly realized that there wasn't anybody doing it and I think from that moment onwards literally for like whatever the hour or so journey from London to Birmingham is um like all good things, again, scribbled on the back of a napkin, practically. I sort of mapped out, um, I mapped out Gaming Magazine 
and the concept of it. So that was in February of 2019. Um, I had a call the next day with with Joe, and she put me on to uh, somebody else to talk to as well. Um, we then secured a spot um, at London Games Festival that year in April to kind of do a soft launch to assembled kind of small press. Um, and uh, and so that was with, um, so that was at Yuki's headquarters, sorry. And that went really well. Um, so that was in April. And then we launched on the 1st of June. Um, and, and that was kind of like the whole sort of, we kind of birthed the idea in February. And then by June, we were up and running um, because of the sort of the background that we have, because of the, the fact we run other LGBT magazines anyway, that the kind of the idea of getting something off the ground, starting something new was never a big deal. Um, it was just understanding exactly what you can and can't do in the, in the video game world. Um, fast forward a little bit then, um, I, I, I'm not necessarily the world's biggest video gamer. Um, shock horror for, for this kind of podcast, and I apologize in advance. But the... You're in good company, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> don't give all the secrets away. <laughs> um, the truth is I am a gamer I describe myself as a gamer but I know what I like and I like what I play so for me the, the, the notion of being able to sort of understand perhaps all facets and all depths and I think as well the some of the sort of what we'd maybe call the queer classics like the JRPGs the Final Fantasies the the Dragon Ages those sort of things like that has never been in my wheelhouse so I kind of knew from the get-go that we'd have to launch with me as a sort of as the editor but i needed backup pretty quickly but i just had to get over those first couple of months to kind of prove our worth and then start earning some money um which we started to do with advertising um and then we basically then pulled in the wonderful amy hart who had written a couple of early pieces for us as a freelancer and then we basically launched into having her as our sort of part-time deputy editor Fast forward two years, she's just taken on the full-time ed- editorship um, starting 1st of August, I think, of this year, 2021. So it's been a wild couple of years, uh, but absolutely, this is where we've ended up with, um, as you rightly say, Sarah, we've we reached now over a million people a month, which is That's crazy. Amazing. That it's, is amazing. It's, it genuinely is, is crazy, and it's growing. Like every month, it's still growing. So I think it just shows the value of of and, and the power of, of video games to unite communities and, and to yeah. bring together that whole yeah. thing. And, and this kind of, of course, alongside all of that, um, we had, as I mentioned earlier, the podcast, our podcast launched, um, I think that was November 2019. And then we kind of rode that wave on and off for a year as an audio podcast. Then we relaunched. I think it was November last year, um, as a live podcast on Twitch. That's just ended um, at, the end of, at the end of August because we all needed a break. Um, but we're picking it up again with a Christmas special this year um, in December and then bringing it back full time um, early next year in 2022. And uh, then, of course, the, the other big thing we did is the Gaming Awards, um, which is, a, again, the world's first LGBTQ video game awards. There's a brilliant quote, and I say brilliant because I said it, but I mean, I didn't really mean to say it, but I kind of said it accidentally, but now I'm laying full claim to it. Um, in, a, in an interview that was published yesterday, I think, with Overclockers on their blog, um, where I said something like, um, a lot of people in the mainstream kind of see these awards and see it as like, oh, we just, we just give it to all the gay games. And it's like, it's not actually that simple. We don't just sit there and go, that game's gay, let's give it an award. Um, it, it actually, a lot of our awards are actually celebrating uh, LGBTQ people and their contribution to games making um, or even streaming or those sort of things. I think half of the awards in the last year's iteration were celebrating people rather than games themselves. And I think that's going to be the same for this year's awards. We've got new categories and stuff and that's being revealed in a couple of weeks time. I was just going to say, I think it's super important to be able to actually celebrate people and the people behind games as well, because it's often forgotten and it becomes more of a, a focus on consumer, the consumer side of, of games, which is fine, but there's, it's a whole industry with, with thousands of workers behind it. Totally. Absolutely. And I, I think that's the point. And I think that the, the genesis of all of this for me 
was the uh, Yuki's diversity census that came out in oof, February of 2020, uh, literally like weeks yeah. before the pandemic started. And the the survey the survey said uh, that there was 21% of the UK video games industry identified as LGBTQ, which is crazy and huge because the, the sort of the, the going average sort of estimate is between four to eight percent of the population. So wow. to say 21%, that's one in five um, of the people mm-hmm. that answered. There are some questions about the survey. There were some questions about sample sizes and that sort of thing. But it was it was carried out by a very, very experienced person at Sheffield University. So I fully stand by a lot of the results that they, they sort of pumped out. Um, and so that was that was kind of genesis. A, it kind of um, it kind of validated a lot of what we set out to do with gaming from the get go. Because gaming as a magazine has never just been about the games. It's always been about um, the people as well. We feature a lot of um, spotlight interviews on creators. We feature a lot of interviews on on sort of voice. They need celebrating, and they're not being celebrated because at the moment you kind of get with a lot of award shows a lot of the games award shows, you kind of get the the diversity category, the the sort of the soft and fluffy special special awards kind of uh, kind of category. And I think that's kind of it's disingenuous to kind of like lump everything together into this this almost kind of special thing that you just like pat the diverse people on the head and pack them off into the back into the box for next year. And I think for me it's kind of having that full award show that celebrates every facet of games making and the games industry, but with a queer twist, for me is something that I think is, is really exciting. And, and that kind of then propelled us forward into that idea. The other thing to sort of pivot into mental health a little bit, the other thing that was that emerged from that survey is that LGBTQ video games workers have an inordinately higher amount of mental health, stress, anxiety issues than standard games workers who already have quite high <laughs> mental health, stress and anxiety issues. Um, and a lot of it related to the trans community as well in video game world. So I think for me, it's kind of, the survey did a good job of showing there's a lot of queer people in the industry, but it also said there's a lot of queer people that need support in the industry. Hence when obviously Safe in Our World starts to come back in again. It highlights, it just highlights the need for for people not only to be celebrated because I think from from all of the award shows that I've seen, it's always the usual suspects uh, and the same games and the same companies, which is is kind of sad because there's so much out there and there's so many people out there who are hidden in the shadows and adding that sense of belonging to the industry is only going to be able to support the employees better but also make them feel like it's an industry that they do belong in and they can thrive in rather than having to I don't know like I I just I I guess there's just a huge need for this and the fact that you're the only one in the world doing an LGBTQ plus magazine is bizarre to me because if there's a million readers so many people resonate with your message (laughs) Yeah, you definitely saw a gap and you filled it brilliantly. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I literally can't believe it's the only one, but I'm I'm so happy that, that you're leading the way with this because there is such a need and those statistics just shout it so loudly. Um, yeah, that's 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 absolutely uh, amazing. So if that leads on to the next question that I, I alluded to, Robin, you know, is the video games industry friendly? to LGBTQ identities, or is there more we can do? I think representing LGBTQ identities in the video game industry, obviously, as as I joked earlier, is the million dollar question. And I think that's what we've touched on, obviously, is the fact that there are uh, 21% of the industry are LGBTQ. So there are people there from the working side that have to be that have to be represented. And I think the industry does a passable job, to be to be frank, of of working with them i mean there are challenges in the industry from an employment side of things um but i I think that we are starting to see good initiatives start to come up the larger companies with their um, staff representation groups starting to come through really strongly we've featured and interviewed quite a few of them on gaming um and i think as well the 
I think there's been some lessons from the pandemic that, that people can take forwards, particularly anecdotally around uh, trans people who have said to me that, that one of the best things, if you can say there's a best thing about a global pandemic, but one of the best things for them is that the actual idea of working from home, that the notion that they can be at home and they can be in a safe space of their own making where they can be authentically themselves and true to themselves is is really important that they're not having to go into an office to exist in a space that potentially is a bit toxic for them or just uncomfortable for them if perhaps they're mid-transition perhaps or they're they're wanting to explore their identity a bit more or the, or the way they present themselves so i think there have been kind of good things that have grown out of the pandemic but i think it's if we can carry some of those lessons forwards it'd be a good thing for the industry in terms of then um representing the lgbt people in games Obviously, the the indie game scene is where it's at at the moment, um, and it still is the best way of it still is the best way of of representing LGBT people and LGBT experiences because they can tell authentic stories. Um, mentioning obviously the gaming awards earlier, that the, we actually have indie game categories um, and authentic representation categories in the awards to try to celebrate and help show off these wonderful games that people maybe never have heard of. Um, but we're starting to see it come through into the mainstream. I mean, the, the, the sort of, I think the argument previously about the fact that diverse games don't sell has been proven wrong significantly because obviously with The Last of Us 2 uh, being released last year, I think that still is the Sony's uh, PlayStation best-selling uh, first-party game. and that obviously is fronted by a fabulously queer woman and features other uh, representations of LGBT people. And we're starting to see more and more AAAs come out with authentic content, authentically queer content, whether it's Borderlands, whether it's The Outer Worlds. Even as far as Forza, Forza 5 that's out, um, I think it's next week, week after, end of the month, um, they, as a racing game, which people would immediately assume would have no business uh, even worrying about LGBT stuff. Um, as in the character creation screen of, of Forza, you can choose pronouns. That's amazing. That's huge. I had no idea about that. I love that. Absolutely. And, and it's that kind of normalization, I think, is, is, is key, particularly in games where, and, and I think a lot of people have said in the past when I've had conversations with them, it's like, well, not every game can have queer content. It's like, that's, that's absolutely true it's not an expectation that, that every single game has queer content, but even sports games, driving games, um, you can just, as part of the character creation, just put pronoun choices in. Don't for, or, and, and don't force people into kind of like choosing, is your character male or female? Like it doesn't matter. Just yeah. simple little things like that can make a huge difference. And it actually normalizes the whole thing for, for, People who identify, don't identify excuse me, as, as LGBTQ, it's just seeing these kind of behaviours and seeing these kind of choices in the world is a good way of getting people used to that. So I think it's tricky that this is why I'm sort of like stumbling a little bit, I suppose, is the fact that the big question of how the video game industry treats LGBTQ people, or how, how it deals with their identities, is there's good and there's bad. Yeah. And I don't think it's the industry that's the worst. Like... I think it's, of course, it's the fans, it's the gamers, yeah. with a Z, that that's where the is, is where the the issues lie. Um, but I mean, that's not unique to LGBTQ people. There's they don't particularly care for um, people of color or women either. So it's, I think, yeah. all diversity as a whole has a problem there. It, but it's the fan base that's toxic. I don't think it's the, I don't particularly think it's the industry. I think the industry is actually changing for the better. They know and they can see that the world changes, and I think they have to keep up with that. I mean, video games are notoriously behind the the um, they're behind the the eight ball a little bit in terms of like TV and film have been through this already. They've, but video games particularly are the ones that maybe are a little bit behind, but they're catching up fast. And I think the faster that the in-game content changes, I think the faster that the industry changes. Um, and I've always said that if you if you are a diverse company, you will make diverse games. So I think increasing the industry's efforts to increase recruitment from underrepresented communities 
and I think the industry's efforts to then accommodate them while needing further work, um, we are seeing good progress being made, I feel. Yeah, it's a journey, isn't it? But it sounds like we've, we've, we're making some progress and everything that we do here at SAFE, you know, can help that, you know, just to be as inclusive as possible. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many different groups as well that's doing fantastic work, like obviously Gaming Magazine, but then also like out making games. Um, for those who don't know, uh, are here to basically connect and empower the community, the LGBTQ plus community that, that works in the industry itself. Um, there's Yuki's Raise the Game Pledge, which is all about making an inspiring change within the industry to be more inclusive. There's uh, an amazing, I found um, when I was doing some research earlier on in the year, um, there's an amazing database that is called Represent Me. And I don't know if you've heard of it, Robin, but there's, um, it's, it's massive. There's thousands and thousands of games on there and you can basically search in the keywords about what you're trying to find with so many different options. Um, so if you're looking for a game with a protagonist that's gay or like a, um, there's a, a secondary or an NPC that is lesbian, for example, you can search that and find games that specifically fit that description, which I think is really cool. That is um, cool. Yeah, and then there's also a um, something else called Peer-to-Peer Live, which is like an opt-in discoverability tool for streamers that are marginalized and viewers to find each other through identity tagging, which again is like a really nice way to be empowered by your identity and not feel like you have to hide. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of different um, positive forces within the industry and, and though there are challenges, it, it is changing and I agree that there's, there is hope for for a more positive outlook on it. There's there's lots of different organizations, as I've mentioned, that are, are really embedding safe spaces within the industry. Um, and they're looking specifically to support LGBTQ plus communities. I guess the main statistic that's, that hit home for me was um, that 55% of um, the trans community within the games industry experienced anxiety or depression which is triple the national average, which is both surprising and not, but very sad all the same. Um, and I guess, I don't know whether there's a specific question, but I just thought it would be good to throw that in there so that people understand the the impact that they might not realise um, on marginalised communities within the games industry. I think the trans community particularly um, is always going to be, sadly, um, struggling with mental health. And I think that's something that we have to address as an industry, but I don't think it's necessarily industry, specifically industry related. Um, we have to look, we can only uh, look at every day when you turn on Twitter or you turn on the news and there's a, the latest attack on the trans person, whether that's a, sadly a physical attack or whether it's a press driven uh, right wing attack as because the, the trans community appear to have found themselves as the, uh, the right wings whipping people and topic of the month if they want to if they ever need to lean on how terrible the community is uh, changing so i think it's again not as somebody that identifies as trans but with plenty of people who around me who identify as trans or non-binary that the exhaustion felt by the trans community is on a daily basis just for existing is terrible and then you add to that going into a workplace that is not built to support them and again, this isn't necessarily, I don't, I don't think any industry person or any industry company sets out to specifically persecute their trans employees. Like that's, that's not happening. Mm. I just think it, they're not thinking about it because, and, and it can be simple things, like just, just have gender neutral toilets. Just have a load mm. of gender neutral toilets that are big cubicles that have the sinks in and it's dead easy. You just go in, you do what you need to do and you walk back out again. And there's just, that's simple. I don't understand how tricky that can be. And I think then some of the kind of like the, the legacy kind of bro culture is, is still existent in the industry that obviously has to be snuffed out. And I think that, as I said, the issues around working from home during a transition or while they're kind of experiencing uh, some dysphoria or something, like, I mean, we as a, as, an, as a company ourselves and as an LGBT media company, we have mental health days. You can literally call me on the morning 
and say, I've got to work from home or I need a day off. I'm just, it's just a bad mental health day. Fine. Because I think the issue here is that mental health and physical health have to be treated as one. It should just be called health. Are you healthy? That's either mental or physical. And I think that for me, it's kind of, if you tie those two things together, then I think trans people, LGBTQ people, anybody really who works in the games industry can be better supported because you're thinking in the round. If somebody if somebody was in an accident and had a debilitating kind of leg injury, you wouldn't be sort of going, oh, we'll just come to the office and favor the other leg. You'd be saying, no, work from home. We'll, we'll, we'll ship all your stuff home. If somebody calls in and goes, I'm in the middle of a sort of mental health crisis, it should, the, the default should be just work from home, just take time off, just look after yourself. Not, are they putting it on? Are they, are they really sort of chancing their arm? Are they taking the mick? Are they, and it's just like the levels of support for mental health, uh, health emergencies versus physical health emergencies is, is staggeringly different. And I think that there's so much that could be done and it's not rocket science. They're not saying that the entire organization has to suddenly start um, fully embracing like all LGBTQ practices and everything else. Like it just needs to be just levels of understanding. Using pronouns, put pronouns in your signature. Simple little things like that just to show that that all people are welcome, that people who are however they, however they identify are welcome and supported at work. And it's just, it's ludicrously, I find it ludicrously simple to sort of execute these things. But I think trying to change massive organizations is like trying to turn a ship around. Um, but I will give a sort of shout outs. To, uh, we've come across a lot of companies that through their ERG groups, through their employee resource groups and support groups and stuff, they are making positive changes. Um, so I think we are starting to see these things happen, but I think there's tying it back to that sort of initial question of the trans community are getting it tough in the industry or well, the trans community are getting it tough in, in life in general. I think the fact that, that the industry then is not supporting them is just yet another kind of uh, assault on that practice but i think the trans community sadly are not having a great time full stop at the moment do do you think that that will change as we move forward i mean around some of the conversations we've had around uh mental health working with students we're trying to empower the students that we work with to when they go into uh the industry and into a company they have a level of expectation mm. that if they're suffering with bipolar with anxiety whatever that there'll be something in place to support them and look after them so we have this hope i think there's a statistic 75 percent of the workforce will be millennials by 2025 now does that follow through with lgbtq you know will we become more educated in the, you know, if, if people at a student level can have that expectation, this is who I am, and expect when they come into the industry that they will be treated fairly. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering if there's more we can do at that early level to say, you know, to really get that point across. And I think universities are an, an, an example where I still think there's issues where you know people from from the LGBT community are still hiding away. They're not they're not being true to themselves. They're not being honest because they don't feel they're able to. And I I just feel there's a lot more can be done at that point to to allow people to be themselves and have an expectation that when they go into the workplace that they will be supported. I agree completely, and I I think there's there's kind of two issues there. I, th I think there's one of readying people at an earlier age, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it's and, and this comes back, I think, to some of the practices that happen in universities around kind of, I was introduced to the notion of game jams a long time ago, and I don't find them particularly healthy. The, the, the notion of um, competitive nature of kind of like, you have to stay up till God knows what time in the morning cramming stuff in. And isn't it fun that we're spending all weekend designing a video game? It's like, no, no, this is the industry training you for crunch. This is the industry training you to accept crunch. Stop doing that. If you're going to do a game jam, at least stretch it over two weeks or something. But that's one of my little pet peeves. But I think the other thing as well, from an LGBT point of view, is that people should be taught and accepted. And I think you're absolutely right. I think there needs to be a level of, a level of uh, acceptance and expectation and support in university level to show 
this is what the industry can be. This is an idealized version. Of, this is what a perfect studio should do for you. And then people should be voting. And I know that people are. I know some people that have either not, not joined a company because they know that company has a terrible reputation for looking after its LGBT staff. Or they've left. And I think that as people get more empowered, and I think as expectations change and people know that the industry can be better and the evidence and the, the sort of the, the interviews start to come out to show that the industry is doing certain parts of the industry, certain companies are doing better than others. I think people voting with their feet and going to companies that they know are LGBTQ friendly, that demonstrate good LGBTQ and mental health practices, I think that's going to force change. I think that people that or industries or companies that in the industry say that actually that maybe aren't being quick to put some of these things in place, maybe they're not going to start recruiting as many members of staff. Maybe their vacancies are going to sit empty a bit longer. And I think that in itself, I think that notion of people voting with their feet or people not going to certain companies, I think that's really important. And I think the in, that actually might look after itself. And I think, going back to what you said about universities, I think if people have come through universities knowing and being taught that this is the base level of expectation that you should have for a job, actually, maybe that's, that in itself is, is kind of a lesson to people to say, this is what you're worth. This is what you should accept. Never yeah. go to a job yeah. that hasn't told yeah. you how much or how much salary is being paid. Yeah. Um, all these sort of things. I think, I think honestly, the university could do a, could do a lot of work to help prepare students to find ethical jobs. Yeah. Um, and I think as part of that, that then will force the industry to, to sort of take a hard look at, oh, God, they're, they're going to a certain direction because they don't know that we are LGBTQ friendly or we have good mental health practices. Why? Because you don't put it on the damn website. Like, it, I, we, yeah. we started to do loads of interviews when we started gaming. And the first one we spoke to was Mediatonic, who are fabulous. I will say this up front, who are fabulous. And they had, almost since their inception, they had an LGBT group. And... When I spoke to them initially back in 2019, we did an interview with them about the work that their, their pride group has done, their latest fundraising for Mermaids, I believe it was. And at the time, when I spoke to them, they were like, oh, and they said, I said, I said, how long have you been running this for? And it's like, oh, about five years. And it's like, well, why, why haven't you spoken about this to anyone before? And it's like, well, we didn't want to, they thought they were being, um, they thought they were showing off. They thought they were being opportunistic or, or sort of banging a, queer drum that, that wasn't theirs to bang in a sense and I sort of said no 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 you need to bang this drum and bang it loud because how do queer people know that you're a good employer to go and work for and and they were like oh yeah and so it's kind of like you need to talk about these things if you do fundraising if you have an ERG group if you do pride events put it on your Twitter talk about yeah. it be proud of it because when yeah. I know for a fact, I've got, some, I've got a friend that, that has just graduated from university in uh, video game art design. He specifically goes onto the company's websites that have vacancies. And if there's no evidence of all their Twitter or whatever else, if there's no evidence of them doing anything pro-LGBTQ, at least in the Pride months, let alone all year round, um, he doesn't apply for it because he yeah. wants to go somewhere that he knows is securely... Um, going to support him, and I think the yeah. same for I think the same for mental health as well. I'd love to start to see games companies actually talk about how that they have all the usual sort of packages and, and whatever else. Oh, we use flexible working. We have ten ball ponds. We have twelve slides and a swing and stuff. And it's like, well, how about actually having like a good mental health strategy or something? Yeah, yeah. But and actually, they should advertise. Let's talk about that bit rather mm, than mm, the fact mm. that your new London office is got all these fantastic things that are just pointless because all the bros hang out there and drink beer like just put it on the website that you have good mental health first aiders perhaps or whatever and it's just like yeah. I think that's what people should be looking at yeah and co companies should be worthy of, of attracting the, the, the new talent coming through correct and exactly, it, to exactly. flip it over you know rather than you yeah. necessarily rather in an interview to work in yeah industry, exactly yeah. please yeah. take me this is my dream yeah. job would be like yeah. what can you offer me you know i've, exactly. I've got all this yeah. talent well, yeah. how can you support me and that flip will be a massive it would be huge yeah. and, and i love the idea of people sitting I, I love the idea of people having the confidence and i think that's a key word they need to be taught confidence yeah. 
Yeah. But I, I love the idea of people with confidence sitting in an interview, sitting in a room like I'm sat in at the moment with with two other people. They're not sat yet. I mean, in the interview, they're sat with two other people. And saying, like, that's all great. Now, I identify as bi or queer or pan or whatever. How does your organisation support its LGBTQ workforce? Yeah. There's yeah. always that wonderful space at the end of an interview where you should ask questions of the interviewers. Yes. Ask some questions. Say to them, like, how, what, what, men, what policies around mental health do you have? What policies mm-hmm. around LGBTQ yeah. workers or diverse workforces do you have? It'll make them think. And I think, you're, and I think worthiness is important. I think saying to them, like, you sh- th- there's a really old catchphrase in, 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 in job hunting, which is you should interview them as much as they should interview you. So yeah. hold them to account. Ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also, like, love to see... Like we've already talked about this a little bit, but like healthy competition with companies in the industry as well. But not only for well-being and for LGBTQ plus resources and support, but just inclusivity as a whole. Instead of just kind of chucking this like nondescript policy and then saying, you know what, that's that's sorted. We've fixed it. <laughs> We're all good. Like actually following through on that and and putting things in place rather than just. I think a lot of companies are all talk to say that they're inclusive, yeah. but they actually have nothing to support that they are. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, it's it's just as easy to put a piece of paper on a file in the HR sort of going, well, there's, yes. our, there's our diversity policy. Well done, everyone. Um, and it's like, but actually, how are you carrying that out? What are you actually doing? Yeah, it's like a lot of companies during lockdown would send their staff a fruit basket or some seeds. You know, it's a nice idea, but it's not really tackling the issues that that, that those members of staff mm. might be might be suffering. So it's just, you know, just a bit of a bigger picture isn't it just just think it just think it through yeah absolutely and i think that's how that's how the industry can change positively is actually about making these changes to the things that people actually want in their careers um i think the notion of an office space that's has like to sort of continue flogging the metaphor sort of all these different ball ponds and swings and slides and hammocks and whatever else it's like that's great but let's start with the basics like do, yeah. you, actually, do you have a mental health first aider do you yeah. have uh, a quiet sort of breakout space that people that are having a crisis can just go and sit in and just chill and, and decompress do you have strategies to cope with crunch do you have do you know what i mean like it's yeah yeah they're the real things yeah that, stay away from the big gimmicks yeah and that, actually provide <clears throat> excuse me actually provide what will be helpful to, to yeah. the teams and the talents that are working and, and healthy and I, I think like it, everyone's quick to sort of have like w- when you move into new offices or you you start with a new company you're, you're told where the first aid kits are you're told where the accident book is you're told where and again it mm. comes back to physical health physical health is is fully catered for in an mm. office space but mental health still is not and yeah. I, I think that the notion that these days and I, I, it's obviously not just an issue for, for the video games industry I think it's the I think it's an industry. I think it's a com- countrywide uh, thing, and like we need to integrate mental health with physical health. Mm. We, we we shouldn't have these kind of barriers between. Like if I if I fell over, I could pick up an amb- I, I could pick up a phone, get an ambulance, take me to the hospital, get my leg plastered up, job done. But if I'm having a mental health crisis, um, who do I call? Mm. And then of course the people that I call, if it's outside of nine to five, then you have to call the police, which is never as yeah. well for a mental health crisis no and i think it's like having these things like this, this we've gone way off track from video games mind at this point but i think having these kind of like macro sort of things solved on the on the country level um is something that can be replicated on a much smaller level going back to video games in the video game industry is making sure that the, the companies at least have as much attention paid yeah it's encouraging that equality between the two, isn't it? That they're absolutely exactly the same. Yeah. It costs nothing to have like even a little sheet with a bunch of good resources and numbers on when you yep. first walk in the door, even mm. if it's on the wall, if it's in a, a welcome pack, like mm. on an online space, like it it costs nothing <laughs> to be able to signpost people that way. Uh, and and that's the bare minimum. One of my old companies that I used to work for before I actually worked in the in the video game industry, they they actually had um one of these health plan things that you paid a little bit into that, that got discounted kind of like healthcare and whatever else for physical health. But they actually had a oh. twenty a 24-7 number that was available for counselling. 
Um, and I thought that was brilliant, even like 10 years ago, to be, for someone to be able to pick the phone up um, yeah. and, just, and have a counsellor on tap. I mean, that's even that is a simple thing that, that can easily be kind of replicated around. Uh, yeah. Companies. We, um, we always promote uh, EAPs um, mm. because, you know, j- just to have that, they're really quite cheap to have within a, um, yeah. within a company. It's literally a few quid per employee a year. Um, so, you know, employee assistant program, sorry, for, for those who don't know what an EAP is, you know, it really is, um, such a, a, an easy way. And they, they often cover a a spouse or, you know, other members of the family. Um, so, you know, it's a really quick, easy way. And those counselors will talk about anything. Uh, they're fully trained counselors. So yeah, that, that's a a really good point that we encourage. Absolutely. I, I, and as you say, it doesn't cost much. That it, it just provides that extra level, that extra layer of support. Um, and I think having some mental health first aiders on site, like mental health uh, first aid training, is, yes. not, is not particularly expensive no. and not no. particularly kind of uh, rocket science to implement either. So, yeah, absolutely. And we, we encourage even mental health champions. Mm. So, some people that, that might be suffering, they don't want to go to their line manager. They're, they're fearful that it might reflect badly on. So you have champions that you can talk to privately, you know, that are just, you can just book an appointment with them and, you know, all of that stays in the room. And that just gives a bit of confidence that you've got someone to talk to. You know, yeah. there should, obviously there'd be no, there should be no comeback on, on your job, but some people have that fear still. But that's part of the organization's job as well to dispel that fear and that you are free to talk about anything you're suffering with. Like we've said a million times, you come in with a bad back, you tell everybody. You come in and say that you've you've been up all night with severe anxiety. No one says that. So it yep. is just that start that conversation. But that does have to come from the top down in a company. That that's that's one of the important things is that the higher management need to be open about yep. their views. Any lived experience that they've got is brilliant because it just gives that confidence for other people to say, yeah, do you know what? I, you know, I, I I can talk about that. I'm suffering from this. And it it, it makes the workplace, you know, it's so different if, if you've got that 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 level of openness. That goes twofold for sort of coming back full circle back to LGBTQ uh, themes as well. Like bottom up only gets you so far. And it's from the sort of being generated from the workers from the top down is where it's at. And yeah. there, needs, there needs to be executive level uh, champions, yes, but also representation. With the, the last bastion, I think, of it was, it was fascinating going back to the uh, Yuki survey, the, the, the 21%, it, it, if you then extrapolate that by levels of seniority, it really starts to go small when it gets up to the top levels of, of companies still. Like LGBTQ representation is poor, POC representation is poor, women's representation is poor the further up the chain you go. And I think that's something that you mentioned earlier about how the sort of millennials are starting to phase into companies. We are starting to see companies, new companies created with a diverse board from the get-go, but we're also starting to see companies where the board is changing as well. And I think that whether it's representation, whether it's uh, championing LGBT rights, whether it's mental health, it has to start on the board and come down. And I think that's where we are in a process of sort of dealing with it. But I think it's something that, it can only be affected at that level. There's only so much like individual employees can sort of do and shout about. Yeah, it. yeah. The resource groups that are run by employees, they're great, but when, but where's that glass ceiling of, well, we need these changes making, and that's when that's where you start to get that sort of break issue. Is oh well, it's got to, the 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 boss has to sign this off, or the head of HR mm-hmm. has to sign this off, and that's where the sort of like the the penny pinching or the, the sort of like the sucking through teeth starts to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're in a senior position where you are in a privileged place uh, and you're not marginalized and you're not, um, you're not discriminated against because of mm. your identity, there are, there are really simple things that you can do to be able to even get on the same page. Like education is massive and, and expe- not expecting other people to educate you is huge. Um, just seeing like what self-reflecting on what the issues might be that aren't from your own point of view is massive. Um, And just having those conversations with people who are 
able to make change happen is the start of something massive for people who who might not be able to influence change from the bottom as well so yeah being aware of your privilege within senior positions as well is is big for me mm -hmm. i guess moving slightly back to games specifically um i guess robin um you mentioned at the start that you didn't really feel as though you connected with the more popular or the more like rpg games that came out um or the traditionally lgbtq plus inclusive um so what do you think do you connect with any other games specifically have you would you suggest any games to people who identifies as lgbtq plus um or someone who wants to learn more about being in their shoes would you have any recommendations game wise for people on both ends of the spectrum the one game that I always lean on as an example of this um, is Tell Me Why, which was the first major game with a trans uh, protagonist. And what I absolutely adore about it, the, 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 sort of the saying goes that never judge somebody until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Well, the good thing about video games is you literally can walk a mile in someone's shoes. And I think this game is a perfect example of that because you embody... Uh, the character of Tyler, who is a trans man, and the the whole notion of the story is very complicated, but inherently you're going back to your uh, village in Alaska um, that you were born in, but but you were born as the um, as the opposite gender at that point. And so for me, it's kind of um, it's an interesting concept because. It's the first time that I think I played a game like that because, again, as you say, I don't particularly not normally connecting with, with that kind of game. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to play it. And I played it. And, and genuinely, it was like living it was like living through a movie. And I think I, I was so affected by the game and I was so affected by the relationships and, and the way that you were treated as, as Tyler. You were treated by the townsfolk. Now, it, the, the, the developers were very careful. They, they worked with Glad. They worked with um, some of the actual trans employees. Um, August, who voices Tyler, is a trans man, and, and, and he had quite a lot to say about the character's development and experiences as well, which is fantastic. They're careful over the fact that they didn't want to make it like a trans bashing game. So they, they didn't want, they kind of always wanted to be on the positive side of things. So, but they, they also didn't want it to be all fully rosy and happy and whatever else. And so I think it was, they, there, there were moments in the game where there were kind of like the, the, the supporting characters who hadn't met Tyler as a man were very kind of like, they were stumbling over their words. They were sort of like, they didn't know what to say. It just made it awkward. And I think that that even just experiencing that little bit of awkwardness, let alone any of the kind of like the real negative stuff that can happen, was a real eye opener. And, and like I say, as somebody that, that, that doesn't identify as trans, for those beautiful hours, I kind of felt like it was the closest I got. And, and I, I was really appreciative of that because as somebody I think that, that kind of prides myself on being able to empathize with all members of the LGBT community, even I was able to sort of learn some extra stuff from that. Even I learned some of the relationships, dynamics and, and that sort of stuff. And I just found it, I found it beautiful and, and really, really interesting. So that's kind of like the one the sort of the go-to game that I always that I always sort of push at. But the other games that I always like to sort of talk about as well are, are the ones where the representation in it is is authentic. Or the authentic representation is, is a real big thing for me. And I think that what I mean by that is that it's a bit like the Forza. It's a bit like Forza and the pronouns. It's something that just happens and there's no need to talk about it. There's no need to make a big deal out of it. But the one I always lean on is Borderlands. Um, I'm a huge Borderlands fan, and this whole series is littered with amazingly positive queer characters, but in a blink-and-you'll-miss-it kind of way. Um, some are a bit more obvious than others, but, but a lot of them, they, they even just sit there and talk anecdotally about um, that they mention their ex-boyfriend. And they'll never say it again. But for that glimmering moment, if you clock it, it's like, oh, okay. He, has a, he had an ex-boyfriend. And so I think that it's those kind of moments of authenticity where there aren't sort of like rainbow uh, confetti cannons going off in the background. There were, and that sort of stuff. It's just a normalized thing. Um, the Outer Worlds actually did a really good job um, with Pavati, 
um, who identified as asexual. And it's one of the first major representations of asexuality in a game. And again, did it beautifully because it was just a few token kind of words and gestures and sentences that that expressed the entire kind of experience almost, but in a beautifully authentic kind of way. Again, it wasn't laboured. It wasn't like a huge plot point. It was just a person being them. And I think that's kind of, that is the way forward, I think, with a lot of this, is like having NPCs or playable characters that are just part of the LGBT community and normalizing saying they had a boyfriend, normalizing they saying they had they have a husband and this sort of stuff. And I think it's that's kind of like the way forward. And, and so for me, like, yeah, if you want like the full experience, you want to learn something, go and play Tell Me Why. If you just want to shoot some people, uh, but equally have a wonderfully diverse time doing it, play Borderlands. Amazing. I love that. I love the contrast of both. Yeah. Because they're so <laughs> vastly different, but I, I, I really like, I've, I've, a, I've a Borderlands fan as well. Um, <laughs> and it's, it is nice to just see it's so nonchalant in the way that they yeah. do it. Um, and I think that's brilliant as well. Absolutely. And, and it also normalizes it for straight people as well. And this is yes. the kind of like the education mm-hmm. part of it is that it's all well and good having tell me why. And I'm sure that they, they, did, a, they, they did a fantastic job, multi-award winning uh, game. Would, and you sort of have to put yourself in a straight person's shoes, which is a bit uncomfortable. But it's, um, you sort of sit there and you go, would, would somebody who's straight go and choose to pick up that game knowing full well what it's all about and the fact that it is just a full kind of lesson almost in in um a trans experience probably not if we're being brutally honest so they kind of knew where their bread was buttered anyway and i but i think the the real lessons come through games that are more appealing to a kind of mainstream audience that that just dribble diversity into it for no reason other than just having good diversity in their games um and I also want my sort of big desire would be having a bit like sort of tell me what uh, the last of us part two and the last of us part one as well, that is just a good game, but has a queer character as the lead character. I would love more of those games to come out that actually have some romance built into it, like a dating mechanic that you can't avoid that is with a, a sort of a queer relationship because forcing people to just accept the fact that their, their lead character is in a homosexual relationship or is in um, a bisexual sort of tri- uh, triad or something, is, is that's normality. That's the way it should be. Like the, the constant kind of pandering to this is the lead character, oh, and they're straight, um, is kind of like, let's get in a bit passe now. Yeah, and you I don't think- have to create, um, to create a diverse game, you don't have to make it solely about lgbtq plus like you can you can totally just include characters within a game absolutely but also i I think occasionally um having like romance into a game that is a queer romance that is unavoidable is also possibly a a cheeky way of being uh, a good way of sort of helping with some of that education as well like there are there are plenty of games out there that have romance mechanics that let you optionally date um people of opposite uh, sex or people of same sex even like um, Assassin's Creed for example um, but that's fine but that means that people can avoid can avoid the LGBT relationships and that's like that's okay but why can't they just be a lesbian why can't they just be uh, gay why can't they just be bi and I think that's kind of for me that I, I would see that as kind of like the next big step is like if the new Mass Effect came out and there was just a get you were playing as a character who was gay full stop end of story no debate no choices no nothing um and not there's enough games at the moment that are just filled with straight characters that no one has any problem with so why why can't it be different and again it doesn't have to have like massive amounts of romance and i I, I don't want to sort of make the mainstream people sort of sit and watch like a gay sex scene just to prove a point but he could just happily talk about his husband, could just happily have a picture on in their locker of, of their boyfriend or their girlfriend or something. And I think that's kind of that level of just normalizing things. I think that's just the next big step. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to sexualize LGBTQ plus relationships Correct. to have them in the game. 
Yes, mm. that's the thing. And I think that's... And people... I was chatting to someone the other day, and they were sort of like, when how the, the most difficult relationship to portray in a video game is bisexual, because if you have a sort of... If, if a man is dating a woman, but the man claims they're bi, how do you show that as part of the mechanic? How can you authentically do that? And it's like, well, just have a, a line in there talking about his ex, and the ex is a man. Yeah, it's really not that hard. <laughs> it's it's such an easy thing to rely on is the fact that like you've for to to sort of like to comfort the mainstream, to comfort the straights, we're going to have a man and a woman. But we're, to mm. to sort of pacify the diversity angle, we're going to claim that the man is bi, but we're not going to do anything mm. about it. Yeah. And it's just like, well, at least put like a picture in his locker of a guy that he fancies while he's dating his female or something do you know what i mean like it's yeah, not it's, yeah. it's, it's like not invisible representation isn't it mm. yeah and, and by but look by representation is tricky but it's not that tricky okay well i'm conscious of time and uh we've we've been talking for a while but it's been it's been so interesting um but before we finish could we just circle back a little bit i think to an uh, an earlier conversation and could i ask you Robin, what would be your best piece of advice to someone who is struggling with their identity as part of LGBTQ um, and is looking to get into the games industry? You know, have you got any advice that you would give to somebody? I think it's it's a case of like, there are support groups out there. Um, obviously, Gaming Magazine, we, we're not a support group. We're, 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 a, we're an educational and consumer-driven kind of media outlet that we we share positive stories stories of sort of like queer success and whatever else. I mean, take heart from that 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 people have you are following in very well well trodden footsteps of queer people working in the games industry. So do take heart from that, but go and find support. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Rosie, I think that that there is a wonderful organisation uh, called Outmaking Games. I say it's wonderful because I help co-found it. It is um, still wonderful. We it's still it. wonderful even without me. Um, but it, <laughs> it, it, the whole point of that is to connect queer, U, uh, queer games workers in the UK and also we include students in that. So we have a few people that are job hunting. We have a few people that are students at the moment. Get into that group, um, outmaking.games on the internet. Um, also then, so that's one aspect of it. I think also then there's the UK games industry Slack has an LGBTQ um, Slack channel. Um, so if you can get onto that, get onto that. The, the weird thing is, is that LGBT people in the industry are looking out for each other. It's just maybe not yeah. the industry looking out for the, their workers quite yet, as we've been talking about. Um, yeah. I think it really is a case of how we then uh, mash those two things together. So, there's a lot of support out there for LGBT people. Get that support. If you're struggling with your identity, I think that's, a, that's almost a separate conversation. Like, there are plenty of wonderful charities out there to go and talk to. There are plenty of people you can go and talk to about that. But specifically in the industry, there are, one in five, <laughs> LGBT yeah. people that are here waiting for you with open arms. And what the industry isn't doing at the moment, the people in the industry are doing for ourselves through these kind of wonderful groups and through these kind of informal Slack channels and stuff. Thank you. Amazing. I think that wraps up really nicely this conversation. And obviously there's a lot more that we could talk about, but I think it's a really nice introduction um, to, or an insight into the industry and, and what support is out there and, and what sort of things you can do. Um, so I'd just like to say thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Robin. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, it's um, it's super nice to have you. And obviously, um, Robin is a patron of Safe in Our World. Um, but where can people find you, Robin? Um, so on Twitter, I am at that Robin Gray, R-A-B-I-N-G-R-A-Y. Um, I believe LinkedIn's kind of the same. Um, but also go and check out Gaming Magazine, uh, G-A-Y-M-I-N-G mag.com and at at gaming mag on all socials as well perfect um and if any listeners if you'd like to continue the conversation please feel free to tweet us at siow podcast or at safe in our world um there's a lot more discussion to be had around these topics and we're absolutely encouraging you to get involved and talk about it as well um 
If you are struggling, though, please know that there is support out there. We've mentioned a lot of different helplines and, and support groups already. But if you're looking for somewhere to start, um, you can visit our website at safeinourworld.org. And there's a list of um, LGBTQ plus helplines that are global, as well as a lot of different information about feelings and symptoms. So if you're looking for somewhere to start, please head over there. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.